podcast about Clueless where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am Darren, your host, and today I am joined by Scott. Hello, Scott. Hi. And Nick. Hello, Nick. Happy Friday, everyone. It's Thursday. Happy Thursday. Thursdays are cool, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> today's minute starts with um, Mel saying one of my favorite lines that he says in the film where he goes, Sure, get in here. And that's a terrible impression, I know. Um, and it finishes with Cher... Telling him about, you know, that she likes a boy and Mel saying, well, obviously this boy is a complete moron. You're the most beautiful girl in Beverly Hills. Um, and that's the minute. And most of this minute takes place in Mel's office, which is like all mahogany and <laughs> leather and like dark. Um, there's a bust. There's a load of uh, vases. Like there's a lot of lights that are on kind of like all over the place there's a roaring fire which in california i think would be unnecessary but you know maybe mel's got some circulation issues uh you know he's got leather chairs everywhere he's got the leather sofa which is where he sits with chair and he starts to talk her through uh, you know what he wants her to do which is look for calls from september 3rd um in about five minutes time this will get her into some trouble uh which will lead to a revelation um but, you know, so that's kind of like what the, the, the minute is is mostly. You know, there's lots of paper everywhere. Um, I suspect these are the depositions from earlier in the film um, for this big case that is like a multi-million dollar case, which is not a surprise because, you know, Mel Horowitz, he bills $500 an hour. So, <laughs> you know, if you've got him on your case, it's a big case. Um you know, he's ba he's basically making like a million and a half a year, and that's in nineteen ninety five money. So, he's he's really he's very rich, um, and you know he's he he's wondering what Cher is doing, dancing in front of his office, which I think is a, a good way to put it, because she keeps kind of going past the door and then looking back, and then going past the door and then looking back, um, and she kind of pretends that the reason is because she wants to help him. And he starts telling her about, you know, highlight every phone call from September 3rd. Um, and then this is when she kind of says, you know, have you ever had a problem you can't argue your way out of? And this is something that the film has kind of done a little bit, which is, um, you know, Mel's profession has kind of seeped into Cher's character a little bit in that she always tries to argue her way out of stuff or kind of you know use her negotiating skills to get stuff to happen you know she tried to put elton and ty together by having them be in certain situations you know she she tried to well i mean she successfully argued her way from a, a c up to an a so sometimes it works um you know she got miss geist and mr hall together you know this is this is like part of her nature is to kind of argue in this way um, and she's this is something that she's even done to Josh where like she needed Josh to drive her somewhere and she kind of like you know stood around by the pool whining until he took her so, um you know she's she knows how to get people to do things by arguing in and out of problems and um you know Mel is like tell me the problem and we'll figure a way to argue it 
and Cher says, I like this boy, uh, and he likes someone else. Um, which I think is not correct, because I don't think that Josh, at this particular point, has expressed any feelings towards Ty. He was just playing some hacky sack with her, and that's it. So, uh, you know, hacky sack doesn't mean anything, uh, particularly not Josh is married to the cause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, Mel is like, how could that be? Which, to me, that, like, um, this is kind of his, like, most fatherly thing when, you know, um, you know, she says she feels wretched. Again, share with the, uh, with the expensive words that she might not know the full meaning of, but I think in this case she's, she's using it correctly. And Mel is like, the, you know, the finish line of, you know, you are the most beautiful girl in Beverly Hills. And I think it's a really touching moment between these two. And I think particularly uh, Dan Hedaya and Alyssa Silverstone, um, you know, they work so well as like a father and daughter, like it, it, throughout the film, but particularly this scene, which, you know, today and tomorrow will be the final time we get to see Mel in the film. And, you know, he's he, he's kind of, I would, I would say kind of like giving her a bit of a pep talk, but he's not really giving her a pep talk. He's just basically saying exactly how he feels. You know, which is that she is, you know, beautiful, and he's not wrong. Well, what I lo- what I do love about what I do love about that line in particular is her reaction to the line is this facial expression of, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> She's very uh, like, you're right, Dad. I am the most beautiful girl in Beverly Hills. He is dumb, um, and, I, <laughs> and I just I think that that's. I don't know, quintessentially shared to me. Yeah, and it really kind of speaks to, um, you know, the fact that Mel did raise a daughter that that is that that isn't afraid to, like, be love herself, you know, or like take pride in herself. And that, and I like that the movie doesn't uh, see that as like a bad thing necessarily, you know. Um, yeah, and then yeah, and then, and it's just, uh, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for for uh, for daughter. Uh, father scenes in these kind of movies. I mean, you know, going back to Pretty in Pink and uh, and those. But yeah, yeah, just it's just a really well acted moment between these two these two actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mel's Mel's a great character. I mean, he. Uh, I mean, my favorite line of his. I think I think it might be the line that I laugh the hardest at in the entire movie is when uh, it's time for dinner and share and <laughs> Murphy sit down. And then he just walks in and goes, get out of my chair. <laughs> it's, just, it's so abrupt and gruff and oh, it's so funny. I love as well that, that, that Cher's like, uh, this is Ty. And he's just like, get out of my chair. Yeah. Just, he doesn't even, he's not even paying attention to who that is. He just <laughs> yeah. doesn't want them in his chair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dan Hedaya. I, I mean, I know a number of guests and hosts have talked about how great he is, but he is just like so perfect and like not kind of like loud and over the top and like occasionally he is like when he yells at Lucy like at the very beginning <laughs> yeah. and you know he's introduced by Cher and it's I think it's funny because I think Cher's view of him as being like a scary lawyer and like being a scary litigator and scaring people and that, that kind of notion of, of how she sees him and then you know how she's when she introduces him and she says you know he gets paid to argue with people but he argues with me for free because I'm his daughter mm-hmm. like she seems to think that, uh, and even when Christian meets him and he's like, you know, your dad's scary, and she's like, yeah, he is. Like, she she doesn't see it as a bad thing, <laughs> um, but I don't think that's com- like I don't think that's completely accurate to how Mel is because I think like you know when he's doing business, you know he's he's a lawyer, that's what he's paid to do, 
But outside of that, I don't see any kind of like indications that he's a scary person. Like he's very affectionate with Josh. The fact that like, you know, he divorced Gail like five years ago and yet he's still keeping in contact with Josh. Like, um, you know, consider if you, if you take Josh's age is like 18. So he would have been 13 when, when they split up. The fact that he took the care to know that, like, if he deserted Josh as a father figure when Josh was 13, that that would be, like, negatively impact him. And so he decided that he chose to kind of keep that relationship going with Josh. I think that kind of is the real Mel. Like, the the scary lawyer Mel is not really Mel. Like, that's him when he needs to make money. When he wants to be, like, a family man, he he is very considerate and very thoughtful and even when Josh is, you know, like going into environmental law and like they have that little conversation and he says, well, at least Josh has direction. You know, at least he knows what he wants to do with your life. You know, what do you want to do? And I, th- I think he knows that Cher can do whatever she wants once she puts her mind to it. But he just he just wants to get her to actually pick something to do, pick a direction. He knows that he's got to work to kind of keep his family, but also knows that it's important to make sure that, you know, that he checks in with Cher and it's noticeable that there, you know throughout the film there are times when you know the office comes to the Horowitz mansion he doesn't he doesn't stay late at the office he works late but he works late at home so he knows he can see Cher and I think again that's like you know the cliche of all those films that I don't know always seem to star Jim Carrey or Robin Williams in the 90s of the dad who's overworked and you know just kind of needs to spend some time with his kid before he realizes his true direction and how to finally yeah. land that big account like big cell phone in hand always yeah yeah never like ne- like always choosing work over going to see the kids in the play or whatever like I think all that stuff is kind of that that isn't here with Mel Mel isn't that dad he isn't the one who you know, would abandon his daughter, you know, she's 15, you know, he divorced last time when she was 10. So obviously, you know, the, the last five years he's been raising her alone. He's been keeping in contact with Josh, like for him to do that and also have a job where he's making $500 an hour and getting into big litigation stuff. Like uh, that shows that he, he has his priorities in the right place in that, you know, he, if possible, he'll have 20 lawyers come over to his house and work and eat you know chinese food or whatever because he wants to know that he can see his daughter and that is more important than doing the work and even here you know he's in the middle of working and he calls her in and even though he sits down and they start talking about work you know he that's just something to occupy her while he he kind of talks to her about what's really going on i think i think dan adeo is this movie's secret weapon um because i think he really brings he grounds everything in in a way that I I, I really like uh, to the point where you know everyone talks about the Clueless TV show and they talk about recasting Cher, but I think what hurt that show more than anything was recasting Mel because um, Dan DiDeo didn't play Mel in in the TV show. They got um, I don't I forget the guy's name. Michael Lerner was the first one. And then they, they recast Mel a second time when it went to the second season. They switched networks. Oh my God. Yeah. So like, so yeah, so yeah I mean, I mean, both times, I mean, they're just, they're not this guy. Like they both have, I only remember the big, I remember the bigger guy um, with the gray hair. I remember that guy. And he yeah. was just, he was just this Mel in this scene. Like the, the kind of like lovey, like good dad kind of dad. And he didn't have that Mel spark. Um, that Mel has, uh, and and I think uh, Dan Adeo, I mean, he he just he's got 
he's a well-rounded character. Um, he reminds me of my grandpa, honestly, uh, who, you know, I mean, my grandpa was the kind of guy he was, he was raised in New York and he never used turn signals. And when we, you'd ask him why you're not using your turn signals, he'd be like, what for? It's nobody's business where I'm going. Um, so, you know, like he's just, I, so I have, I have a real soft spot for Mel because of that. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a terrific character. <laughs> Michael Lerner, like he isn't a terrible actor, like, you know, he's a, he's a good actor, but he, 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 you know, from what little I've seen of the Clueless TV show, you know, he, he, he like played it for bluster rather than trying to get like a real connection Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the, the the, it just like it just it just did not work. And the thing is, like Michael Lerner, um, if people don't know who he is, um, he's in uh, he's in Barton Fink. He's uh, he's he's Jack Lipnick. Um, so which I think is like the studio head who's who's like you know who wants a uh, he wants a Barton Fink wrestling picture out of uh, out of Barton Fink. <laughs> um, and he's also in uh, he's also in Godzilla as playing uh, Mayor Ebert. Uh, so he's got like this white hair, and he he's, he's a lot bigger than Dan Hedaya, and he he just doesn't he just doesn't look like like the right Mel. Um, and I right. think I, like you know I, I I think that's something that you like you can't discount is how important Mel is in making Cher's character work. The Mel Cher relationship is like one of the strongest, particularly as it's introduced, like in the second minute, like mm-hmm. the first character we see share truly interacting with outside of the opening montage, uh, Noxima commercial is Mel. And, you know, her handing him his bag, handing him the, the orange juice, you know, like you get, you get exactly in the first, like 60 seconds of them together, you get their relationship and you get what it's all about. I just want to point out that it's Mel who tells Cher to do the thing that she gets in trouble for later. So, <laughs> yeah, he said, I, I noticed that as well, obviously going through this minute by minute and, you know, looking at the script page by page, you realize that he's the one who says September the 3rd, uh-huh. like, I'm guessing someone had told them a different thing after this, but they just hadn't told Cher in between. So, you know, this is literally the only time she gets told what they're doing. And then later on, someone like started yelling at her. I do like it though, as, as a, as a scene of like working with your dad. Cause I remember going to my dad's job on like Saturday sometimes as a kid and he would find like some kind of busy work thing for me to do. And it was always a situation like that, like highlight this or, you know, find yeah. these and mark them for me or whatever to make his job easier, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so I just really appreciate this scene from that perspective too. Cause I'm just like, yeah, no, I, I totally remember like my dad <laughs> making me do stuff like this. Absolutely. Uh, I think her being in a pajamas as well, like makes it feel even more like kind of the like, intimate and like a, like a, you know, like a family moment is like, you know, she's just at home in her pajamas and she's wandering around and, looking for someone to talk to mm-hmm. and you know her dad is she she sort of goes in there you know she gets called in but you know when she goes in she knows that she can talk to her da- her dad about whatever she needs to talk about like she's not she's not one of these daughters who hides things from him you know um she she seems to be one of these these daughters who's kind of very honest even when her grades were bad she was like I'll make them better. Don't worry. And she's like, and he was always like, okay. He was never like, you've got bad grades. He was like, what's going on with this? And she's like, I'll sort it out. Don't worry about it. And I, I feel like they have an understanding about certain things. Yeah. Um, like I'm a big fan 
no doubt, as you would have heard, if you listen to any of the early minutes of team movies, um, I have about 30 or 40, depending on how you, you define the uh, the various American Pie sequels, um, because they're out of high school, obviously, by American Pie 2, mm-hmm. uh, of like high school movies in general. So I don't know how big... Uh, we've already talked a little bit about Easy A and, and kind of touched upon the kind of the different, you know, uh, eras of teen movies. I don't know if there's any teen movies that you're particularly big fans of. Um, and I'll ask Nick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I love all the ones that you guys, that everyone, that everyone loves. But I think um, a couple that I think should probably be viewed by more people and would probably be um, enjoyed by a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> uh, the Duff came out last year with Mae Whitman and um, Bella Thorne and... Um, Robbie Amel. Hey, you know, that's another uh, franchise of hot family members. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and that was really good. I mean, Mae Whitman should be in everything. And that was terrific. Um, there's a movie called Band Slam um, that I'm a big, big fan of that no one knows about. Uh, it stars like Ali McShackle and uh, Vanessa Hudgens. And it's about a, 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 a group of uh, this one, like kind of band, kind of like alt nerd, kind of um, indie kid starts a band and with these two girls and other people. And um, the band is kind of like this weird ska thing where there's like trumpet players and everything. And I, and it's just, it's just such a fun movie and it, it bombed miserably when it came out in 2009, I think. But um, it's worth a watch. If you, if you want like a comfort high school movie, uh, band slam is really terrific. Uh, I mean, my, my teen, Movie trifecta is probably Clueless, Can't Hardly Wait, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, those are the three that I've probably watched more than any others. Uh, I, lo- I love all three of those pretty much equally. Um, and but I, I I will say that um, one one movie that's like it's not a high school movie, but one that I'm surprised has never come up on this show because I've listened to every episode um, that's been released anyway. Hey, if people start if people start talking about stuff that isn't high school movies, I cut it out. I'm I'm ruthless. If it's not about if it's not about high school, it's not getting in. Okay, so <laughs> so has somebody brought up lo- has someone brought up Loser, the the Amy Heckerling's follow up? Yeah, it's it's I. I think it's been men- I think it's been mentioned, but yeah, no. It's strictly speaking, it's a college film, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. It's yeah. it's sort of it's weirdly like she was like, okay, I made a movie about Cher. Now I'm going to make a movie about <laughs> about you know a freshman in in, in college. You know, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, but I watch that movie a lot, um, and I feel like it's one that's m- largely forgotten. I think it's notorious simply for having teenage dirtbag uh, being on the soundtrack, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I think that's where that's where it gets its notoriety from. Yeah, I'll say one which I haven't mentioned previously in any other podcast, which is uh, the new guy, which is oh, possibly not a very good film. Yeah, oh, the Liza Dushku. Uh, yeah, but that also ha- that has like Zoe Deschanel and um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else to you know Zoe Deschanel, Liza Dushku. You've obviously got um, what's his face as the father, uh, Lyle Lovett, which is such a like such a weird role. Yeah, <laughs> in that film where he, he's like constant. Although he makes the perfect father for uh, DJ for, Qualls. For DJ Qualls, yeah. yeah, that like that is that's really good casting in terms of like a father and a son. And that's another one where the father will kind of do anything for his son, but he's so misguided because everything he does just makes things 
like really like a lot worse than the the situation was before he got involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I mean, I think that's kind of like I mean, it also features like Tony Hawk's and both of the uh, uh, the O'Connell brothers. Uh, so that's like such a such a weird like film in terms of like cameos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a really weird like stuff where he, like DJ Qualls is in prison for like a week for some reason. It's it's just very it's very strange. Well, and speaking of Eliza Dushku, I mean, Bring It On is a uh, Bring It On is a phenomenal, such a great film. Oh, that's so so great, great. <clears throat> such a good film, so so good. Um, and yet I think that the. I don't think the Clover should have won at the end. I think it should have been Rancho Carne. But, you know, that's just me. I, that's, I think the ending to that film could have gone the other way. I mean, um, I kind of understand why they did it, but I just thought the routine that was done by Kirsten Dunst and everyone else was just a lot better than, than what was done by uh, Gabrielle Union. So that's yeah. just my thoughts on... Uh, I would never do a minute-by-minute minute of that because there's, like, four spin-offs. And so that would just be never-ending. That would be never-ending. What's funny is you mention... Um, Ali Mikaela, I never know how to pronounce that surname, um, but uh, something that has been discussed a little bit is how teen movies kind of have stopped being made because everything is YA now, so you might get something like Me and Earl and The Dying Girl, or you might get like Perks of Being a Warflower mm-hmm. featuring the current, you know, the new Flash on movies, the mm-hmm. Ezra Miller, um, but... Like you don't, you don't like those films aren't really high school films in the same way that like uh, she's all that or ten things I hate about you is a high school film, but there is a tendency now for kind of the tropes of high school films to be done on television, and um, whilst like Ali Michaela has a sister called AJ and she is on the Goldbergs, which is possibly one of my favourite shows that kind of is almost like a very long high school movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that it's about a kid growing up and kind of like, you know, friends and all that kind of stuff. Like, and, and itself, they have done episodes that were Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They've done episodes that are like essentially parodies of, you know, high school films, teen films, because obviously Adam Goldberg, who, you know, is the showrunner and writer as a kid, he, he made films when he was a kid, like little short films, like parodies of like, ETNs and aliens and stuff like that so it's it's funny how there's a lot of tv shows um that are kind of like about teens and about families that you know like a decade ago probably would have ended up just being like a teen movie and that would have been the end of it Mm -hmm. and we would have all moved on but now there seems to be like a lot more television that handles these tropes yeah though i think i i think the teen comedy is going to come back around i think it's i think it's about due for a resurgence because i think the ya thing is out at this point because i mean well, yeah, they, yeah i mean we have we have a diversion movie that, that it, there isn't even going to be a, a final diversion movie yeah it's going direct to video i mean yeah so so i think it's done like i think the ya thing is done i think i think usually it takes hollywood about three years to catch up on a craze being dead um, but I think it's done and I think we're going to get another really big teen comedy like in the next few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, it seems to be like once, once a decade and it usually seems to be in the middle of the decade. So it might be Spider-Man homecoming from what I heard. <laughs> it from might Comic-Con. be. It might. Yeah. I was going to say that that is interesting that, you know, you do have films that feature teen characters and I know people always, pretend, you know, they're always like Andrew Garfield's like 27 playing 18 and that's, that's not really a teen 
Um, but yeah, you know, I, I feel like yeah, there there are there are other like genres that have teams that are prominently in them. Like you say, like a film like Spider Man Homecoming, maybe that will have some of the kind of teen movie tropes in there. Maybe I don't know. There's a homecoming dance. I mean, that's something. So long as everyone there is a, a trained dancer, then they should be okay. <laughs> um, you know, which is possibly Spider-Man. my favorite line. Oh my gosh! If there if there is a Spider Man dance sequence in spider-man homecoming will be my favorite marvel movie ever made uh you mean spider-man 3 yeah, okay well, then it'll be my second favorite <laughs> movie of all time. teen though teen teen <laughs> yeah, dancing teen. like in that he's an adult dancing down the street that's that's a whole different uh that's a whole different thing to it's true and then of course there's the dance. ultimate teen comedy back to the future which we cover minute by minute <laughs> So one man's quest across time and space to get laid. <laughs> uh, do you know what I? I, uh, I, I took a quick look at, uh, at who directed uh, Band Slam, and it's a guy called uh, Todd Graff. And most recently, yes. he directed he directed Joyful Noise, which was the uh, the Dolly Parton Queen Latifah joint. <laughs> yes, he also directed a very good movie called <laughs> Camp, starring a very young Anna Kendrick. Ooh. Yeah, uh, which was produced by uh, Danny DeVito and uh, Christine Vachon. And features a very cool Stephen Sondheim cameo, of all people. As himself. Yes, <laughs> yeah. As, as Stephen Sondheim. Wow. Of all people. <laughs> such, a, such a stretch for him to, uh, <laughs> to do. How strange that you've, you've outed yourself as a Todd Graff fan. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, somewhere somewhere <laughs> his, ears are, his ears are burning. <laughs> yeah. This is probably literally the most that anyone has talked about his body of work uh, <laughs> in years. Although he was an actor, apparently, and he was in The Abyss. So. Oh, good for him. Uh, so if there's nothing else to say about teen movies or, or this minute, I think we can move on for, uh, for our final minute, which will be tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be covering Minute 82. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything that you wish to plug? Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, Nick? Yeah, just, you know, DuelingGenre.com. It's the host of um, all of the podcasts and projects that we're, we have worked on and will work on in the future. Uh, we have a, a Patreon page, so if you like the sound of it and, you know, want to listen to it, you can always subscribe. And, you know, Scott and I, we, you know, we, 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 we fill our Patreon with a lot of really cool bonuses and podcasts and rewards. So it's we, we, we got a little Merry Marvel Marching Society going on, and I'm really starting to, to dig it. Mm-hmm. And Scott, do you have anything to add to that? or you, you feel Yeah, I will say if you go to our website, doinggenre.com, there's actually a film section. And there's there's actually two short films there that I, uh, I directed. Um, so if that's something that you might want to check out, that'd be cool. Okay, well, thanks for joining me today, guys. I'm hoping you will cont- return for the one final time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And we can we can spend some time in Mel's office uh, getting a heart-to-heart with Cher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. It's produced and edited by Darren Husted. This episode was hosted by me, Darren Husted, with my guests, Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez. Like us on Facebook at As If, the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram, As If podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcasting app of your choice. And please rate and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. All rights reserved. Copyright 2016.